Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's good to see that Clark and Melinda made it back from Hawaii. I texted Clark this last week, and I said, how's the Aloha State? And he said, well, it's 74 degrees and breezy, but it's supposed to improve. (laughs) So I told him we'd pray for him. Uh, Today, we are celebrating the Feast of the Epiphany, which actually falls on the 6th of January. You have to back up to December 25th and count 12 days. December 25th is the first day of Christmas. And then if you go 12 days, you get to the 5th of January, and that's the 12th day of Christmas, and that's called also 12th night, or Epiphany Eve. And on that night, uh, which ends Christmas, we traditionally would take down all of our greenery, and then the next day on Epiphany, we would go to the church. When I was a kid, we always did this. We would go to the church And uh, we would have an epiphany service, thanking God for the wise men and the revelation that Jesus is for everyone. And uh, then we would have a big bonfire outside to burn all of our greens from Christmas. Uh, And uh, actually got to do that this year with the Shorelimers. They actually still have a real tree. Uh, But I I thought about doing it here at church, but I think we'd melt more than we'd burn. (laughs) So, So if you have a real tree... Next year, let us know. We may try to do something like that in the new courtyard when we have it. So we shall see if the fire department will let us. Uh, This is a special day, uh, Feast of the Epiphany. It actually is the day that a good chunk of the church across the world celebrates Christmas. It's in the sense that it's the day when they exchange gifts. Uh, The Orthodox churches all exchange gifts on this day because it's the basically the Christmas for the Gentiles. Uh, also, the uh, I know my son-in-law, uh, who has, uh, he was born in Connecticut, but his background is Puerto Rican, and they celebrate Tres Reyes, or the Three Kings. And uh, so they exchange gifts on, uh, Dece- on January 6th rather than December 25th. And the 26th is Boxing Day. Uh-huh. Yes, that is so true. 26th is Boxing Day in Britain. Of, uh, of December. Uh, the, uh, and that falls as the second day of Christmas. So anyway, just wanted you all to know that background on the day, feast we are celebrating today. It's a special day and the wise men have much to teach us. Uh, normally, I think about my children's Sunday school classes where I grew up with the story of the wise men gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the camels. Finally, you know, the wise men and the camels get to Jesus, which actually was about two years later because they went to a home, the Bible says, rather than to the manger. Uh, But two years after Jesus was born, the wise men get there. They've been following the star to find him. And uh, so I think about all those stories and how wonderful they are, but there's something that just God seemed to lay on my heart this week as I was preparing this sermon, and it was something that he says, you need to get ready for this. So this isn't just about something to think about from the past. This is a lesson for our future, especially in the years to come. So please bear with me. But uh, I think a lot of us 
we'll find over the course of our lives that there are times when life is just crazy and we are being tossed back and forth by circumstances, the expectations of others, our own desire to be like others, and there's no peace, there's no comfort, there's just stress and uh, turmoil in our lives. But it is possible to have peace, and it is possible to have peace for a lifetime. And it is possible to have peace even in the midst of all life's troubles. And that's what we want to learn from the wise men today. Because they give us an example of people who kept their heads while people all around them were losing theirs. And the key to their peace and the key to our peace is very simple. They were God's men. God's men who followed Jesus Christ. I hope today, as we discuss this, we can all examine our hearts and minds and explore whose we are. Whose man are you? Now, I understand that in new inclusive language, I need to say whose man and whose woman, but I'm going to get tired of that over the course of this whole sermon. So let me assure you of this, that I am using traditional inclusive language, which man meant male and female, as in the book of Genesis. So uh, just so you know, I'm referring to male and female here when I say whose man are you, in the same way that the day will come when you are the bride of Christ and so am I. And so you get back later, uh, you get even, when all of us men are the bride of Christ. But the question is, whose man are you? Today's gospel reading is a fantastic account. It has dramatic moments and intimate moments. It has mystery and celebration. There is the threat of real danger by the hands of evil men and supernatural intervention from God who guides those who listen and follow him. And at the heart of all this drama, as in the eye of a hurricane, there is the simple, peaceful, and moving story of men reaching out to God and God reaching out to men. And a hurricane is actually a good analogy for life and the choices we make. See, there is the storm. It's destructive, shattering. And then there is the eye of the hurricane, peaceful at the center. The Christian walk can be seen as living in the eye of the hurricane. When you are in the center of God's will, you have a sense of peace and confidence, even as storms rage around you. When you wander from God's will, you're going to walk into the storms of life where you are tossed about by circumstances and tragedy and the fear of man. Okay? The wise men can teach us how to live in the eye of the hurricane. There's no point in praying, Lord, take away the hurricane. But Jesus came to give us peace at the center of it. Matthew 2, 1 through 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. But not everyone wants to worship Jesus. We know that because when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod had no intention of surrendering his throne to some other king. And the people of Jerusalem were probably afraid of the disturbance of the status quo, 
which would challenge their own lives and lead them dis with discomfort at best. I know I went to seminary in Alexandria, Virginia, just a suburb of Washington, D.C., and I did my field work in Washington, D.C. at Ascension in St. Agnes, which is at 12th and Massachusetts, uh, actually the center of a transvestite prostitution and crack houses. So this little boy from East Texas had quite an education that year. Uh, but what was going on in Washington always was anxiety. I have never seen a place so preoccupied with my status, my boss's status, his boss's status. Who's going to get elected? Who's not going to get elected? Am I going to have a job next year? Am I going to lose my job because my boss doesn't get elected? Just constant stress and pressure and turmoil in all of their hearts and minds. And uh, that's the way I perceive Jerusalem being as well. Capital cities with a great deal of stress and pressure. I was always so glad to get back across the Mississippi and drink some iced tea in Little Rock. It was like, oh, I can finally relax again. But what's happening here, what Matthew is pointing out, is that God's plans are going to happen regardless of how we feel about them. Okay? Uh, look at what's happening in this story. God's purposes are being worked out in spite of how people respond to them. How Herod feels about it really doesn't matter. How the people of Jerusalem feel about it really doesn't matter. God is working his purpose out. None of them can stop the hurricane. They can only struggle against it or move to the center of it. They can only fight God or they can align themselves with God. And this is still true today. God is in charge. His will is going to be done. That doesn't mean everything that's uh, going on today is going to be about God's will. But it does mean that in the midst of that, God's purpose will not be thwarted by anyone's disobedience. The question Matthew frames for the wise men and Herod also addresses us. Will we stand in opposition to God? Or will we align ourselves with God's plans? Will we stand in the eye of the hurricane? In God's will? Or will we step outside of God's will into the storm? And you know, the thing is, you don't have to even move. Your goal is to stay with Jesus when he moves. Because that hurricane moves. And the eye moves. So you have to be willing to walk with Jesus. Because if you stop walking with him, the eye is going to pass you by. And you're going to be back in the middle of the storm. Will we stand in God's will? Or will we allow the storm to catch us up? Where do your loyalties lie? Are you, good, are you for God or are you for the world? Don't fool yourself into thinking you can be a little of both. Jesus told us we can't serve two masters. I'm sure the chief priests or the scribes thought they could. And it's interesting that the wise men were willing to make great sacrifice to travel, to follow the star, to find Jesus. And when they get to Jerusalem, people who were 10 miles down the road from Bethlehem can't be bothered to say, hey, I want to come see the king too. 
I want to come worship the king. I think there were two reasons for that. First, they weren't God's men. They were Herod's men. Their loyalties were already confirmed. Second, they had religion, but they didn't have faith. They knew all the rituals of the temple, but they didn't know God. These are the heirs of Abraham and Moses and David. David, who wrote the most beautiful songs to God. Abraham and Moses, who walked with God. These are men who had an incredible, intimate lifetime experiences with the Lord. And the, their successors had squandered their inheritance. And there was nothing left but empty ritual. An empty ritual does not help in a storm. In contrast, and even without understanding it all, the wise men wanted whatever God was willing to give them. So, let's say you are a man of God. What are you going to look like? Well, first of all, you're going to be joyful. Matthew 2, 9 through 10 says, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's thick with joy, isn't it? Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Once some translators say the only way to translate this correctly is they jumped up and down rejoicing. They were delirious. Now, these men were celebrating not because their personal fortunes had increased or because they had grown in power or prestige or because they discovered they had better marble countertops than their neighbors. They celebrated because they knew they were drawing closer to Jesus. Through the star, these men had been given a sign that they were drawing closer to the king. Now contrast that with the people in Jerusalem. No joy there, only a troubling fear. When you're not God's man, there's no comfort in being near God. Just like these people in Jerusalem, you want to keep your distance from God. You don't want to go those 10 miles down the road. So what about you and me? Well, we should be very joyful because when we gave our lives to Jesus, we were filled with God's spirit. God is not just near us, he is in us. We have reason to rejoice every day. I believe this is why Paul can tell us rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We can wake up with joy knowing God is with us. As we go through our day with all the ups and downs, in good times and in bad, we can rejoice that God is with us. At the end of each day, we can fall asleep knowing that God is with us. It's pretty special. And one sign that you are God's man is that God's presence in your life gives you joy. Another sign you are God's man is that you desire to worship him. Matthew 2, 11a. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. God the Father wants people to worship his son. St. Paul writes in Philippians, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Many people can praise Jesus as a great teacher, as a wonderful moral example, but they refuse to accept him as a savior because that is offensive. I don't need to be saved. What have I done to require salvation? Well, you were born. <laughs> That's the correct answer. 
<laughs> because you're born into sin. But they don't acknowledge that they cannot save themselves. So they refuse to worship him. But the wise men had no trouble with that. They didn't even understand the full meaning of what they were doing. Nevertheless, they fell down and worshiped him. And the story of the wise men gives us another clue as to how we can worship God. They sacrificed. They sacrificed to make the journey and they sacrificed to give Jesus costly gifts. Matthew 2.11, then opening their treasures, they offered him gold and frankincense and myrrh. How's this worship? Well, when you give a sacrificial gift to, sacrificial gift to Christ, and a sacrificial gift is not, oh, I had this left over, I might as well give it to God. A sacrificial gift is the first and best of the fruits of your labor. When you give that sacrifice to Christ, it's a way of saying, I want you more than I want your gifts. I want you more than I want your gifts. You are my treasure, not these things. You are my God, not worldly wealth or power or fame. And ultimately, that is worship. To make knowing Christ our highest priority and letting him reign as king in our lives. When you're free of the desire in your heart for worldly wealth, power, and fame... You are standing in the eye of the hurricane with Jesus because you have the opportunity then to let him be the Lord of your life. Then keep your eyes on him. That way you can't get distracted and let the eye pass you by. Following Jesus means you stay with your eyes on Jesus. Now, there's one more example from the wise men. They could have gotten up, caught up in blessing, pleasing the people in Jerusalem, pleasing Herod. It's always nice to have the king on your side. And return to the palace where they could have stepped right into the storm. But they didn't. They listened to God. They followed and responded to his warning. And in doing so, they remained in a place of joy and worship, even as the turmoil swirled around them. In some ways, they had created the hurricane. Their very presence and the message they brought with them caused Jerusalem to be troubled and this hurricane to start forming. But they didn't come to start a hurricane. That was Jesus' doing. They came to be God's man following Christ. So, it's not always easy, but it's so simple. And we tend to get it, make it complicated. But to stay in the eye of the hurricane, regardless of where it is moving, we stay in the will of God. And to stay in the will of God is to place him above everything else in this world. It is to love the creator more than we love his creation. It is to rejoice in him more than we rejoice in his gifts. It is to put our trust in him rather than in this world or the things of this world. And I do believe the next couple of decades, it's just it's been pressed upon me. We got to learn how to do this. We have to learn how to live in the eye of the hurricane. Because there is no neutral territory. 
we either in the hurricane or we're in the eye. And I want to close with this passage that on the surface has nothing to do with epiphany, but in truth, everything to do with what I think Jesus wants us to learn from the wise men. He tells us in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The wise men teach us that this life is like a hurricane, but when you live in Christ, when you are God's man, you are standing with the one who has overcome the world. What about you? Whose man are you? This is a decision that matters. It matters greatly. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.